Gospel Tab family. I am super excited to be with you today, and I'm super excited about this feel. Being down on the ground with you, I was just talking with Bree. It feels really cool. It's something I appreciated about the Franklin Avenue campus, because um, we are in this together, and I love that. Um, so I uh, get the privilege to preach out of um, where the Lord is speaking to me this week which is always a fun and daunting um, task because I'm always like, okay, Lord, I hope you're speaking to me today. <laughs> um, but I um, distinctly remember <clears throat> summer of 2011 uh, asking the question, is it normal to cry every Sunday? And I was um, in Aliquippa for my first summer as an Aliquippa Impact staff member. And I asked this question to Steve. I remember we were sitting in the building that is now the Greenhouse Lab. And I had grown up in the church. I had the privilege of having parents who taught me the word of the Lord, taught me in the ways I should go. I was in, attending a Bible college in Chicago, and the Lord wrecked me that summer, my first summer here. And I literally wept every single Sunday. Um, I think I've, I've told you guys this before, but <laughs> I wept every Sunday, and it felt disarming. It felt, um, I didn't quite know what the Lord was doing or why it was happening. It was, it was kind of uncomfortable, but like I knew it was probably a good thing because it was every single time I was brought into the presence of the Lord weeping. Um, and I, I believe it's because I had been asked that summer to radically open my heart, not only to what the Lord was doing in my life, but also to what the Lord was doing in a city, to what the Lord was doing in a body at Crestmont, and in what the Lord was doing in our youth and families. And that was territory that I had never allowed my heart to invest in before. And every single Sunday, I was bringing all of this to Jesus and saying, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with what lies ahead of me because it feels like way too much for me to even understand my place, my purpose, um, what you're speaking to me and how I'm growing. Uh, fast forward, I was going to be vague about this, but I'm not, I'm not going to be. Fast forward to last Sunday. I was going to say a few Sundays ago. It was last Sunday. Um, I was sitting over there and again, <laughs> I started weeping in worship. And I could identify personal things, that, like my personal baggage that I was bringing in, hard stuff that had happened that week. Um, but it wasn't just that. Once again, I found my heart stewarding my personal baggage, stewarding grief that I knew the city that I love was walking in, stewarding when we sit like this, you can, I like looked, I was trying to stop crying. So I kept trying to look at a different angle and there was not one angle I could look where there was not somebody that I could identify that I am committed to long suffering with. So I would look around and I was like, okay, that's not going to work. I'm just going to close my eyes. Um, but I, I want to come and speak to you today about what it looks like to steward the promises of God, not only within your heart for your personal valleys, 
but to steward the promises of God as you walk through the valley with others, as you walk through the valley with whatever you are bearing with one another. Um, and so I want to talk about uh, Caleb and Joshua. So this kind of ties in a little bit um, with some of the word that Steve spoke over Franklin and the tab merging. Right, we we wholly. I've never felt more confident in the leadership of this church and their decision to to take this step, and yet in that place of merging back together, there's grief, and so there's this balance of knowing we're hearing from the Lord, knowing that the Franklin Avenue campus is coming back to us with a rich picture of a land flowing with milk and honey to speak to us, and also grieving the loss of a community that was built down there complex. So if you find yourself crying every Sunday, I'm with you. Um, so my main point today, I don't think that's on. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was looking at it, I was like, huh. All right. So my main point, I'm going to throw it out here today and I'm going to throw it out later in my sermon and, but it's going to change a little bit. A heart that wholly follows the Lord stewards, stewards his promises through the valley. And so this is specifically, I'm pulling some verbiage in this main point that is attributed to Caleb in scripture. Um, Caleb is identified in scripture as somebody who had a heart that wholly followed the Lord. Um, and so I want to explore numbers 13 and 14, um, but we won't go to the passage just yet. All right, so a heart that fully follows the Lord stewards his promise through the valley. I feel like I'm missing a page here. I think I am. I'm going to pull it up on my phone. My printer likes to shoot it out underneath our guest bed. <laughs> so I'm not surprised. So we're going to look at um, numbers 13 and 14, uh, but I wanted, I wanted story tell for you because I do not want to read all of those passages for you. So in the book of Numbers, chapters in 13 and 14, it tells the story of the leaders of the tribes of Israel that were sent out to scout the promised land. Okay, so they have been wandering through the wilderness. They have just been delivered from captivity in Egypt. They are wandering in wilderness, and they are coming up to the edge of the promised land. They are on the cusp of receiving what God has promised them. And so they identify 12 spies, and they are leaders within the tribes of Israel, which means they were probably men of standing and men of vision. And they identify these 12 men and they ask them to go out and scout out the promised land. They spent 40 days doing reconnaissance, doing what spies do. So seeing what the land looked like, seeing what, um, what provision was there, seeing the inhabitants. And they spent 40 days exploring that, collecting intel. intel. And I want to point out that the Israelite people in the wilderness had just experienced the miraculous from God in the wilderness. They had just been miraculously delivered from captivity. They had been miraculously brought through the Red Sea. They had seen God promise things and bring them to fruition in the wilderness. 
And this is the place that these people are sitting in as they go out and say, okay, here we are. We're right on the edge. We're going to make it to the promised land. So when the spies come back, they bring a report. Now, I think this is where I want that picture to come up of these guys. Okay. So the spies come back, and they come back with tangible evidence of the provision of the Lord in the promised land. Okay? They come back, and Joshua and Caleb report, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at these grapes. Like, I don't know if you guys know how much grapes cost right now, but that is insane. <laughs> That's an insane amount of grapes. Um, look at this rich providence from the Lord. Is this not evidence that God is coming through on what he promised us? Like, this is tangible evidence to us. They get excited. So Joshua and Caleb describe the land of abundance. They encourage the people. It is ours for the taking. This is what the Lord has promised us. This is for us. But then we have the other ten spies. And they speak to the inhabitants of the land. They speak to giants inhabiting the land. And they strike fear into the tribes of Israel. They say, no, no, no way are we going to be able to, to, to come up against these giants. We look like tiny bugs compared to them. Like, what has the Lord done? What has he done? Caleb and Joshua inter interject, and they try to interject the promise and provision of the Lord into the narrative, okay? So we have Caleb and Joshua saying, look at this, tangible evidence. We know what God has said. We see what God has done. Let's go. Like, giddy up. Like, clearly, this is for us. And then we have the ten spies looking at what is before them. Men of the world that are set before them, and they, and they respond in fear and anger and doubt of the Lord, right? So, um, and at one point, yeah, I'm going to read it in our passage, Numbers 14, 1 through 11. Uh, then all the congregation raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. Let that sit with you, because in hindsight, that statement is heavy. Like, instead of standing on the cusp of the promised land, seeing the provision that God has given me along the way, I'm so fearful that I want to go back to captivity and die. If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. If only the Lord hadn't, hadn't got us so close only for us to fail. I wish we had just died out here. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Whew. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. All right, so they're plotting. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. 
Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Right? Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? So there's a whole lot of, of scripture that we could kind of get through, but this sort of encapsulated the heart of what I wanted to get to um, today. Ooh, now I can use my papers again. Okay. Okay. In light, so in the Israelites' mind, in light of not even what they had seen themselves, so they had actually tangibly seen the provision of the Lord in the wilderness for them themselves. But because of the word of these ten spies striking up fear within them, they believed that God had simply led them out of captivity to die at the hands of the giants inhabiting the promised land. So they took this word of man, this fear stirred up by man, this earthly danger, and they chose to put that against what they, they had experienced and doubt the word of the Lord. They chose the word of man and the fear of man over the promises and word of the Lord. In this passage, though, and really, I do encourage you to kind of dig into Numbers 13 and 14 because you see Joshua and Caleb attempting to steward the promises and truth of the Lord to the Israelite people. And in this passage, we see a dichotomy of those attempting to steward his promises, Joshua and Caleb, and those allowing the fear of man to overshadow what they know to be true. They knew it to be true of God's provision of them. So Moses sees God's anger, and he begins to intercede to God. God is angry in this passage, and this is something that happens in the Old Testament that is so fascinating to me when, like, God gets really angry, and then a man of God is like, whoa, 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 God, remember what you said? Remember who you are? And he, res he responds to that. But Moses intercedes on behalf of the people, and he says, and now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. He's like, remember your character. Remember your word. I get this, the, the guilt of the Israelite people in denying you in the wilderness. I understand that. But do you remember what you have promised? And so God then responds back. I love this. I, I mean, I feel like sometimes we do this with God, but this must have been so powerful. Moses being like, God, hold up. Remember who you are. To, to have the intimacy with the Lord to talk to him that way, I think is pretty cool. And I think we do have it. I, I have been in prayer meetings where we were wrecked and we said, God, don't you remember this promise? Remember, let it be so. You promised this and I know who you are. Let it be so. So this is what Moses is doing. He's like, Lord, you promised this. Let it be so. I know there's guilt here, and I know there will be judgment, but remember who you are and what you've promised. So God then promises judgment over Israel. And he says to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. 
Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me? Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua. So now we have this instance of people experiencing judgment, being on the cusp of the promised land and experiencing judgment. And Joshua and Caleb, and this is where I think we I started to build this understanding of what this might have been like for Joshua and Caleb. Because what this judgment proclaims over the tribes of Israel is that for 40 years, so it was for every day that the scouts had been scouting, those 40 days, those years were going to be spent in the wilderness and an entire generation of people now were not going to see the promised land because of their grumbling and their disbelief of the Lord. And Caleb and Joshua are sitting in that. And the grief of that became really real to me when I was reading this story. The grief that he must have walked through being like, I faithfully steward this promise. And now I'm watching generations of people around me die. And so he was able to, he got to experience the promised land. He was like 85. He finally got to enter into the promised land, but he did not enter. I cannot imagine that his rejoicing in entering the promised land wasn't also intertwined with heavy grief for the loss that the Israelites experienced in the wilderness. So immediately after this, we see it like 10 spies die, Israel is defeated, and they start this 40 years in the desert. Multiple times in scripture, Caleb is referred to as having a heart holy unto God. I don't, I feel like I'm going to sit with that. Like, what does that mean? I really want to ask the Lord, like, in that complex nature, what does it mean to have a heart that is fully towards you, God? What does that mean? And today, what I landed with was that idea of one aspect of a heart that is wholly following God is a stewardship of his promises in the valley. And the reason I chose valley, so when I started, I, I had a lot of grief kind of rolling around. So I was like, oh, do we steward God's promises in grief? Absolutely. Yes. But there's more than that. And then I thought, um, wilderness, because it's really applicable to, to, to this story. Like, it would sound really nice because we're talking about wilderness. So wilderness, and my point, makes sense. But then I um, had the privilege of calling my dad as, as I was prepping this sermon and just kind of talking through things with him, which is such a blessing. Um, and he was talking about that idea of the valley of the shadow of death. And I mean, how, how in that passage, which we're not going to go into, that's a whole other sermon, but how in that passage, those sheep are being led to a higher place, but they are experiencing the valley of the shadow of death. And the valley to me communicated the depth and range of things that we may walk through as followers of Jesus who are stewarding his promises. I think it, the valley... Um, can even speak to times where we know God is present and know he is providing, and we are still in the valley. Because wilderness, for me, communicates sometimes like a dryness and an absence. That may just be personal. The valley communicates so much more. 
So what does it look for us to be like Caleb and steward the promises of God in the valley? I believe the stewardship of God's promises is a complex and long-suffering activity. One of the things we carry with us when we choose to follow God into where he takes us is bearing up alongside our brothers and sisters in their suffering, grief, and trials. So I think that every single one of us can identify valleys that exist in our own lane, right? I could, I could weep over the valleys that I can identify in my own life. It's not very hard for me. But there's a compounding nature when you begin to attach your heart to other people and other things, where now you bear up multiple valleys with people. I'm bearing up with people. My, my valley gets a little bit more complex. We bring with us the promises and provision of the Lord into those valleys. Much like the Israelite people could have said, let us look back not that far to what we know God did for us in the wilderness and remind ourselves of that as we look at these giants and carry it into the promised land with us. We have the provision and promises of the Lord with us when we enter into the valley ourselves and with other people. And what are those things? Grace, healing, Deliverance, freedom, hope, the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We carry that with us into the valley and with others. So when we're in the valley, I, I, I am seeking to be like Caleb and I'm saying, look what God has done for you. Look what God has done for me. Remember, and we continue in the valley. I'm not saying that immediately plucks us out of the valley but it stewards his promises up to the higher place. Our hearts are committed to share the good news. We have received it and we are called by God to preach it in the valley, in the midst of the most daunting circumstances. And I think that um, I have found myself sometimes telling people so so when i'm trying to speak hope or truth in like a relationship found myself telling people i know this sounds cliche but it's cliche because it is true this promise of god has been spoken over you multiple times not because it's an easy answer but because it is true your healing has been promised by God, and I will go up with you every Sunday and ask for healing over your body in Jesus' name because it is promised by God. So we carry that and we encourage that because let me tell you, when you are weary in the valley, it is a tiring place. And there is anger and weariness that coexist in that space. In a healing journey, do you know how tiring it is to go up again and ask for the same healing? It is tiring. It is, it, and it is a place where we can become angry. I have personally found myself angry and declaring, like, God, I don't want to ask again. I'm so tired. I'm so tired, Lord. 
But that is where the community of believers that the Lord has placed around me has been like Caleb and said, no, don't you see what God has done already? Haven't you encountered him in a supernatural way? Haven't you seen his promises come to fruition? Remember that and go pray again. Um, I was recently talking to somebody about, we have the privilege of being a foster family um, in Beaver County. And, and please take this in the best possible way. I know that you've probably said it, and it is totally okay if you have said it. But one of the things that uh, people say the most to, to us is, I could never do that. I would get too attached. Um, and I agree. Um, you do get attached. Um, because the Lord gives grace for me and Corey to love on kiddos and babies for a time in order for them to be reunified or adopted. And if I didn't get attached, um, that would not be good. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be caring for those kiddos appropriately. I wouldn't be willing to wake up every three hours and feed a baby throughout the night. That's for sure. Um, so I know in those moments where my emotions surrounding these relationships, where I hear that, like, I'm going to, what does it look like to transition from this? The Lord has given grace and promises surrounding this call on Corey in my life that says, I have given you grace for these children in this season. I have given grace for you to release them, trusting in my promises about them and trusting in you for their future. Because let me tell you what, the idea of baby dedication when the baby is not with you for a long time gets real, real. Because you have to say, I absolutely trust you, Jesus, with this child who is no longer in my care. So in the valley of that decision, I do get too attached. And it's because of the grace of God and because I can steward the promises of God and apply them to that relationship and bring them through the valley. Right? There's also a stewardship of mission. Um, so we're broadening the context a little bit. We carry his promises into the places that the Lord has brought us. If we find ourselves living in community with those who are walking through the valley, we steward the promises of God and speak truth against the lies and suffering around us. We do not deny hardship, but rather bear it with one another, speaking the hope of the kingdom of God into that space. And this is where our valleys get multiplied too, right? Um, so, for example, last week in worship, I, I, I was weeping because um, there was a loss of a young woman in our community. And... Um, I am personally closely connected with someone who's very, very close with her. Um, and so I just wept. And there are sometimes, so I used to sit over here in this like second row. 
And there are some times in worship when I literally feel the need to throw the truth of whatever we're singing. And to me, for some reason, like this direction, I don't directionally know if it's true. But for me, this direction, I am throwing the truth of Jesus over the city of Aliquippa. And last Sunday, I just kept wanting to throw the balm of Jesus's word and his promises over the city of Aliquippa in their grief. Because my heart is connected to that city. It's my city. It's, my, it's where my kids are growing up. This is my city. And I have chosen to attach my heart to it. And I bear up with my brothers and sisters when they are grieving a loss. And I just say, Lord, help me steward your promise into this city. Help me remind them of your truth and your promises in their grief and help me to grieve with them. Because I'm not wanting to be like skipping in, skipping into Aliquippa and being like, have hope, have hope, be good, rejoice, which there's a time. What I want to do is bear up alongside my brothers and sisters in grief and speak truth and hope over that space in our grief. I can weep with you and still speak the promises of Jesus and the truth of Jesus over that environment. So that is why I changed my main point a little bit because I think this is not just a personal word, but I think this is a word for our family on mission. A family whose hearts wholly follow the Lord steward his promises through the valley. What does it look like as a family on mission for the neighborhoods and the nations to bear up alongside one another and to speak the truth of God's promises on mission together? And I think this is twofold for us. One, I think it means we bear up among one another in this space, and I don't mean like this physical space, as a body. We bear up alongside one another and speak truth into one another's valleys. We speak the truth and promises to God to one another so that we can go out from this place and bear up on mission with those the Lord has given us and speak his truth into those valleys. And that is, is where I think that the grief of this season that is not fully reconciled, I think, for us as a Gospel Tab family. Like, I'm comfy being like, I think we're still asking good questions as a body of what God is doing, what he's shifting, what he's changing. And that is why I think we can sit in that and we must speak truth to one another. We must remind each other that we are listening to the Lord and we are, are speaking his promises. And this is so apt. I recently, um, a short video of uh, a woman who I love to follow came up and it was talking about what faith, what does faith looks like really good when we, can, we're, we feel like we're hearing the Lord and, and he's there and he's present. What does this stewardship look like when we feel like there is nothing? When we feel like we've asked and we haven't gotten a response. When there are people sitting next to us in the chairs who have said, I've been asking and I am trying to hold on to the promises of God and I am hearing nothing. It happens. Like we've all been in that place. That's the wilderness, friends. What happens is we seek our brothers and sisters in Christ to speak the promises and truth of God over us. If I have been asking for the same healing for a year, 
and I am so tired and I am hearing nothing. I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to speak the promises and truth over me again and again and again. When I am praying for an individual in my family or in my community to come to Jesus, and it's just not happening, and I see almost backtracking, I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to steward the promises of God over that relationship and declare, God has said this, it is true, he is true, and we must rely and steward the promises of God. I think about that in, in, in a work environment where you <laughs> feel like the Lord has answered a prayer for a job. Like, oh, thank you, Lord. This is exactly what, and the Lord takes that away. You go, okay, Lord. Clearly that was a misinterpretation <laughs> or, or, or not a full interpretation. I go back to the promises of God. I go back to what he has said, that he is my provider, that he is my sustainer, that he will give me when I ask, and I rely on the promises of God. So family, this is my word for you today. We are a family on mission who desire to have hearts who fully, wholly, some translation said fully, wholly follow the Lord. Now, this isn't a critique like, oh, you're not wholly following the Lord, right? Please don't receive that from me. But when we are attempting to wholly follow the Lord, we must bear up alongside one another and steward the promises of God, steward his words, and speak them over the giants. He has given us grapes. He has given us promises. And we must put them up against the giants that we face in our valleys and declare, I see it and I know it and I've heard it and I will have favor over that. I will have favor over what I feel like I'm coming up against.